Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We have a friend of the Doxedo family with us. Um, and so, Lorraine, who is part of Doxedo Bloom Central. So, just to quickly say something before I'm going to invite him up. He's going to be preaching the word for us this morning. And this is so exciting because Lorraine is actually my old colleague. So, if you don't know this, we moved to Pretoria in March from Bloom, Doxedo Bloom, to come and plant this new church. In February, we have our launch. It's going to be exciting. We'll say something a bit about that at the end. But what's so cool is Lorraine and them actually have all come from Pretoria. So they moved from Pretoria to Bloemfontein many years ago to plant Doxedo Bloemfontein. Uh, so he was part of the old North Campus. Um, I think it's called Kamildrif now. So Doxedo Kamildrif. Uh, they were all part of that campus and they moved to Bloem to establish a new campus there. And I can tell you, it was blood, sweat, and tears for many years, many crying. Uh, I think every second day the whole Bloom team wanted to leave ministry and just go and sell cars for a living. Um, but it's so amazing to see what's happened there. That church is thriving today. It is a leader amongst, I think, the churches of Bloemfontein, and they are setting the pace in terms of what God is doing in that city. And what's so cool is the fruit of that, is that's what we're trusting for, is that we can move to where the people are. We want to plant many, many campuses in all the cities that we're in. And just last year, we planted our first campus, the new one. So in other words, we've got two now in Bloemfontein, and Lorraine is the leader of that campus. So that's so exciting. And I would say, we said it last week again, we've got a dream to be a multi-ethnic, multicultural church here at Doxa Hatfield, and we're going to keep on fighting for that, move in that direction. But Lorraine already leads a church that I think is incredibly strong in that regard. And it's beautiful when you walk into Doxedo Central, Bloom Central, to see people of every race and color and background worshiping Jesus together. And so here's a story to stir you as Lorraine is about to come up. They took over their venue. If you think, you know, as we moved into our new venue, you might think this is a bit strange if you're from uh, maybe a different kind of church background or no church background. This tops that. So the Bloom team, and we used to part of it. There's a club in Bloemfontein. On, when you come off the highway, it's one of the main streets, Nelson Mandela Road, and this club has had many, many names. Many bad things have happened there, and uh, when the lease of that club uh, kind of went dud, and they were struggling a bit financially, we said as Dr. Bloom, we're going to take that club, and we're going to start a church there, and so there was this big battle trying to find this place. They said, there's no way we can give this to a church, and in a prayer meeting with all of our leaders one evening, Donnie, who leads Dr. Bloom, just said, we are going to pray that we are going to get that club and start a church there. And many months later, we stood there together, starting to break down and shop fit as we launched a brand new church in a club in Bloemfontein that's now called Oxido Central. So I hope that that stirs your heart, that Jesus is busy in the cities of our country, and you are part of that as well. So can we give Lorraine a massive hand as he comes and preaches this morning? Good morning, and Joe, thank you so much for all your kind words, and uh, when people give you so many kind words, you just say two things. First one is, Father, forgive him for all the lies he's sharing, and then the next thing is, Father, forgive me for enjoying it so much. <laughs> Great. So as Joe said, I'm a local Pretoria boy. He grew up here in Pretoria, really loved this city as well. Uh, I married a lady from this city, so I'm married to a Pretoria girl as well, and she is the mother of my two children currently who all stay in Bloemfontein, just by the way. So, yeah, very, very blessed and very, very excited to be here with you guys. And may I just say, from the Doxedale Bloom family, I want to mention something that's really deeply on our hearts. And uh, I want you guys to know this. In Pretoria, this is our favorite campus. <laughs> okay, 
But I've never said that, ever. If John comes up, I've never said it, okay? But it really is. We pray for you guys. Our hearts are with you guys. We really trust that the calling that's on this family will come to the full, that it will flourish in this city. And the way you guys are leading, that there will be so many more people getting to know Christ and joining His kingdom. So that's really in our hearts, and we're very excited. This morning, I'm excited to join you guys in this series that excites me a lot. Um, The series called, if you're brand new here, the series is called Jesus Uncensored, and it's all about encountering Jesus. And the reason why I love this is every morning when I greet the people in Doxadeo Central Bloom, I say, good morning, guys. If there is one thing that my heart desire is that you today would meet Jesus. Because if you meet Jesus... I guarantee you, your life will change. So that's why I'm so excited about the series that you guys are doing, because it's all about encountering Jesus for yourself. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus as the obedient master, probably in one of the days um, of Jesus' life that could be described as the darkest moment in his life. Now, before I'm going to dive in there, I thought I'd love to share with you guys a quick video. So quickly check this out. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. If you would just... Don't! So, it's not about the nail. Any guys in the room, any husbands that might know of this reality? You've experienced it once. If you have your wife with you, please do not lift up your hand now. You might be sleeping on the couch tonight. Great. So, as I've mentioned quickly, this morning's talk is about an encounter. We're going to be looking at an encounter of Jesus' darkest hour. And isn't it true that in our darkest moments, the moments where we're dealing and struggling with pain is usually the moments that we want to hear God's voice the most? It's those moments that we cry out, say, Jesus, please, what is your will for my life? Where am I going to be going? Just hear me out. Help me in this moment. And then we are very attentive. We want to hear. But I find it so easy for people to really miss God's voice, not because he's not speaking, because we are not in the position to listen. 
That's primarily the thing that's happening. And that's a classic example. It's just a humor take on what actually happens so many times in our life. God, why are you trying to fix me? You're always trying to fix me. Why? I don't want to hear that voice. I just want to hear what I want to hear in this moment. And in this story that we're going to be reading, it's going to be in Matthew 26. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it up there. We're going to spend some time there. But in this story, we see Jesus, the obedient master, Facing probably the greatest moment of pain the world has ever seen and will ever have to endure. Nobody would ever endure what Jesus will endure. And in that moment, he is positioned to listen, to hear, and not miss what God wants to do. So if you're open there, I want us to read together Matthew 26. And I'm going to be reading from verse 39. I'm reading out of the CSB translation. You can follow me on the screen as well if you don't have your Bible with you. It goes as follows. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, So couldn't you stay awake with me even one hour? Stay awake and pray, so you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping, because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. We're only going to be reading to this. Here far. So, just a quick overview of this story and of what's busy happening in this moment. This is, I really find it very funny, actually, that the disciples would include this story in their testimony of Jesus. If you think about it just for a moment, the disciples, the leaders of the early church, puts in a story of their greatest moment of failure. Can you imagine that? <laughs> so you go around all over the Middle Eastern world, and you go and preach about this wonderful Jesus, and you want people to follow you, and you put in a story of how you couldn't even stay awake to pray with him, how you failed him in his greatest moment, how you rejected him right after that space. You're speaking to Jewish leaders, and we all know Peter, he went for the sword, and he cut off somebody's ear. That was just, by the way, the 2IC, like the vice president of the priest at that stage in the Jewish faith. And do you guys think he was aiming for the ear? Just a quick question. No, it wasn't going for the ear. He was going straight for, for something else. He was going that side. He missed it. He couldn't even kill the guy that was threatening Jesus. Totally failed him. And in that moment, he even failed in what Jesus stood for. And you put that in. Just let your Jewish buddies know, guys, I wanted to kill the two I see of the priest. Follow me. This is going to be next level, you know. It's not going to work. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. It's really profound to see how the future leaders of the church would put that in there and use that as the main document to connect people, to follow Jesus. But more than this, it's very profound because this is a very unique story. If we did not have this encounter, this story of Jesus... 
we would not know something I think is truly profound about this man. You see, in all of the other stories, Jesus is the rock. He's confident. He's calm. We see him angry sometimes. We see him filled with joy. We see him with compassion, but he always has the sense of composure. He's always composed in all of these stories. But in this one single story, we zoom in to the moment where Jesus falls apart, where there's nothing left, when he totally becomes unglued, when he breaks, when he's at the end of his rope, when he's really fragile. It's almost like we get a close up and personal feel and look. It's like the curtain is being pulled back and we can see how our master is fighting the fight that most of us are fighting on a daily base and aren't winning. And it's the battle of the will. And we get into that space and we discover things there. So what I want to do is I want to invite you to go and have an up-close and personal look at Jesus and his darkest hour and see the following three things. See his commitment to the mission in this moment. Secondly, see his obedience to the Father. And lastly, we're going to look at his fuel to actually live this way. So, firstly, his commitment to the mission. Now, as I've said, it's usually in our darkest moments that when we want to give up, when we want to go the other way, and we've all been there, I've been there, 2015 was my darkest moment of my life thus far, that was the year that I almost burned out and decided I'm going to leave ministry, I've been there, and I wanted to give up on the mission, but it's usually in those times that we want to run away, but Jesus does exactly the opposite, even though we see some truth, he's honest with God, he says, God, my will is this, but... If your will, let it be done. That's your way of going. Now, what's the mission? Let's quickly just dive into the mission. To get a little bit more depth of what Jesus is saying yes to here and what he's actually doing. It's in Matthew chapter 4. I'm just quickly going to read it to you guys. Um, the writer puts it out like this. It says, Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. And healing every disease and sickness among the people. Everybody say kingdom. Well done, guys. You are amazing. I love this crowd. Okay? So if you were ever wondering, if, G if you were wondering what Jesus' message was, it was never the gospel or the good news of salvation. It was the good news of the kingdom of God coming. That's what he went to go and do. He went all over and preached that he is bringing a new kingdom. The kingdom of God. That's what he's doing. Now, I know for many of us sitting here living in this modern world, we really don't have a good grip on what kingdom is. And I think the guy that summed it up for me the best is this man called Dallas Willard, philosopher. He like gets right into the heart of what kingdom is all about in this quote. I want to read it to you guys. He says, my kingdom, meaning your kingdom, everybody's kingdom here, is the range of our effective will. That's our kingdom. It's where what we want goes. Now, I know he's a philosopher, so everything doesn't make always sense when he speaks. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you guys quickly on a little journey. Um, I want to show you a picture of a little baby. Check this out. Oh, yes, I was just waiting for that response. Some girls, some girls were saying, oh, cute. Okay, we've seen this many times in our lives, either a picture or in real life. 
But the moment you see this, um, uh, instead of just going cute, I want you to realize something bigger. What's happening here is there's a little human being that's taking some physical atoms, just make it as practical and as clinical as possible, and those atoms are submitting under its willpower. It's coming under his dominion. He's saying like, little foot, you're my kingdom now. You come here, and I'm going to chow you. Okay? And really interesting, God makes us in his image and his likeness to have dominion over the earth. That's kingdom language. That's God's plan from the beginning. And therefore, every human being, as we grow up, we see our little kingdoms expanding as our willpower is exercised over our bodies and the things around us. And our kingdoms can really go far, can go way further than just our own bodies. And the other thing that's cool about our kingdoms, it can actually intertwine. It can overweave, like connect with one another, like in my family, the Marais family. I'm talking about the Bloemfontein Marais family because I know there's another one sitting here. But in my family, we bry on Saturdays. That's, that's how it works in that kingdom. We tan a flacy. We like holy Christians. We have sacrifices every week. It's really amazing. Okay? And then in other families, they do other stuff. In, and then in different organizations, we have different sets of values. This is the Doxadeo way. And then this is the South African way. This is the African way. This is the Western way. And so you see all of these kingdoms together. The Bible calls the kingdom of this world. And it's not going that well in the kingdom of this world. Just to give you guys two interesting stats. Did you know that the last century was the most bloodiest century in all of human history? More people were killed in this past century than ever before in human history. I'm going to give you some highlights. World War I, World War II, Rwanda genocide. It is crazy. Never before has many pe- more people died than in this century. Second stat, I don't know if you know this, but today there are more slaves in the world than ever before in human history. There are more people owned by other people than ever before in human history. It's more, up, more concentrated up in North Africa, but it's a reality that we face Today, this kingdom is not doing that well. And in the midst of this dark, gloomy, hopeless world and space, Jesus steps in and he says, guys, I have good news. I'm bringing a new kingdom, kingdom of God. There is something powerful about his kingdom. Now, just a quick, just a quick check for you guys. If my kingdom is where my will is done, then God's kingdom must be where his will is done. Jesus even teaches us to pray. He says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth. Not going to heaven one day. It's like, guys, newsflash. We're not going to heaven. Heaven is coming down, boys. Coming down to this place. That's what's going to be happening. And that's what Jesus is calling all of us to do. He's saying, and this is the reality, I want you to see how profound this moment is. Guys, it means every single moment, you as a Christ follower make a decision to submit to the will of God. It's like the kingdom of heaven is breaking through into the kingdom of this world. And you get get to taste, and the people around you get to taste a little piece of heaven on earth right now.
they get to taste what it means to live in God's presence. I mean, I'm talking about the smallest act of love and generosity and forgiveness to the greatest moments of sacrifice and justice where you're aligning yourself. You know where God's kingdom is, there's life. That's why when you walk into Dr. Hatfield and you feel a few people connected to that kingdom, you have this sense of just love and life all around you. So here we sit, Jesus in his darkest moment, the moment when we usually compromise, the moment where we usually would say, God, I hear this is your will, but I'm not sure. And Jesus actually says, your will be done. But he's not fake in it. He's real in it. He's honest. He shares what's on his heart. And he submits to the will of someone far greater in this moment for all of us to see as a human, God is. God is king. He's the king of this kingdom. That's the first part. We see this. I just want to end with a very interesting poetic moment is that the Bible started off in a garden, guys. And here we see Jesus in a garden. And in this garden, we see the failure of men. It's darkest moment for humanity and their failure. And in this garden, in Jesus' darkest hour, we see a success, a moment of breakthrough. How powerful is it not that Jesus comes to create a new way? Not a moment of failure. The second thing we can see and learn from from Jesus' darkest hour is his perfect obedience. He's really perfect in the way he obeys the Father. Now, just a quick, quick thing that I want to put out there. My kids, whenever I ask them to do something, it kind of becomes like a bargaining moment, like, Um, John, you must go and have your bath first. Okay, but then I want to watch that and that and that. Okay? And Mika specifically, I want to, she will always say this, story cake, Papa. I want to watch a little story. So it's kind of like this bargaining thing. And I don't know if you guys realize this, but when we obey a mom and a dad, it's not a bargaining game. Because suddenly it becomes a business transaction and no longer any obedience is present. There's this beautiful story that I quickly want to share with you. It's not in the Bible. It's in the, uh, in the Apocrypha or the Apocryphal, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, correctly pronounced, Joe. Thanks. So, um, and it's about Jesus and his disciples. And they were walking the one day, and Jesus looking at his disciples and saying, Guys, would you carry a stone for me? Everybody, please carry a stone for me. The disciples looked at each other, not a really a bright bunch, like... Huge question marks on their face. What's Jesus doing? The weird stuff. So Peter, obviously being the guy that he is, first to pick up a stone, but he's like going for the small one, like really small. Jesus didn't say what size you need to carry for him, you know? And he takes the little stone, flicks it, puts it in his pocket, like, I'm content, I'm doing, I'm, I'm compliant, I'm doing exactly what Jesus is asking me to do. And then Jesus says, follow me, and they started walking. And as they're walking, through the day, it's really dry, it's really warm, and then finally at lunchtime, Jesus says, hey, great guys, let's sit down, please take out your stones, put it down there, Jesus waves his hand, and all the stones turns into bread, wow, and here we have Peter with his little muffin, baby, (laughs) he's got to enjoy this mini muffin now, and he's like, oh, 
Jesus, why didn't you tell me? This is how it works, obviously. Duh. Okay, cool. Now I'm for it. I'm, I'm seeing how this picture works. So they enjoy their lunch, have a nice rest, and the next moment Jesus says, okay, guys, everybody get a rock. Peter thinks to himself, hey, man, <laughs> I got this down, boys. I got this down. So he gets the biggest rock that he could possibly find and that he would be able to carry. And he jugs it there with all of his strength on the shoulder, and he carries this baby, this big man. And Jesus says, okay, great, guys, follow me. And they start walking. And as they walk, as they walk, finally, I mean, all that Peter's probably thinking about while this rock is on his shoulders is like, oh, guys, supper is going to be amazing. It's going to be lamb, baby. It's going to be lamb. Check this one. So they arrive finally, finally Jesus steps back and he says, okay, guys, let's go and sit down. Let's chill out. Great. Just before that, please, everybody, take your stones, throw it into the river. Throw stones into the river. And Jesus looks at him and he says, okay, great. Now, come follow me. And he starts walking away. Guys looking at him, very puzzled, all the disciples. What? What's happening? And Jesus looks at him, and he says, who were you carrying those stones for? Were you carrying it for me? Where was your obedience? Was it wholeheartedly focused on me? Or is there something of a bargaining chip that I'm working with? Oh, geez, I'll obey you, because then... That is the level of perfect. That's the kind of obedience that Jesus showed in this moment. The only reason why I could say yes is because Jesus says God is kingdom. God is the king of this new kingdom. And he submits under his authority. In that moment where we see a side of Jesus' humanity as we've never seen it before, we see how he submits under the true king of the universe. It is perfect. He's not trying. And even when he acknowledges that he has desires, he lays them down. He is in a position to listen. Now I know, if I leave us here, you will probably walk out of here feeling like the worst person on earth. Lorraine, <laughs> how is this possible? I will never be able to be so perfectly obedient. I will never be able to show such a level of commitment to the mission. Yes, I know I need to say yes to whatever God wants to do, but how is that? It's impossible. It is impossible. And yes, you're right. It is impossible. Therefore, I want us to take a one quick look at what fueled Jesus. And I think we find something in that for ourselves. And Jesus speaks to us in that moment. So, What was the fuel for Jesus in this? In terms of going the distance that he went as we're looking at this encounter. What could drive such an extraordinary level of commitment and what would lead to such a radical act of obedience that could change the world, guys, as we know it today? I believe the clue lies in the word Jesus uses when he speaks to God. Every single time he says, my father. I think that's the way Jesus portrays God. It's very profound. It's truly radical. I've met so many people that looks as God as an angry boss. He is the angry boss. 
He has it out. He almost looks like Zeus with that big um, <clears throat> blazing, what's it, bliksem stroller, what do you call that in English? Help me here. Thunder, lightning bolts. He's going to sort me out. I'm in trouble. And he wants to keep me in line. And I don't know how many of you guys, the big boss picture, I actually have it on there, can, can identify with this. I'll do my work because my boss is sorting me out. I, it's kind of this fear-driven picture of God. As long as God keeps me afraid of him, in a sense, with all of his power, I'm going to listen. And I'm just waiting, praying, hoping God would never come. I'll never forget this moment in my own life. Um, struggling as a young man in sin, there would be nights that I would go to my bed and I would not pray, Jesus, please, please forgive me. I would be praying, Jesus, please don't come now. Because I'm not going to go to heaven. It's kind of the idea. It's kind of the picture that I had, this fear of this angry boss just looking at everything that I'm doing wrong. And he could never love me. Yet a boss can produce some commitment. He can produce commitment from people. But it's a fear-based one. And then the other group of people that I find regularly speaking about God, sees God not just as an angry boss, but they see him as their homeboy, their buddy, their best friend, hanging out. Look, uh, I can trust God. I mean, as long as I'm in control of this kind of relationship and uh, there is some level of trust, I'm feeling happy, Jesus, God, kind of just a friend. And um, friends can produce great levels of trust in our life. We really can trust our friends with lots of stuff, but it doesn't come without compromise. It doesn't come with your friend standing in for you when you know you're really in trouble and they're, like, they're not really living with integrity in that moment. So there's a little bit of a compromise, but there's only one figure that I know of that can produce both at the same time. And it's a father. You see, a father has the capacity to speak with strength correct in love, but he also has the heart, the compassionate heart, to keep you up, to encourage you, to say, go boyki. <laughs> That's what I'm dreaming about. That's what I'm seeing in your life. I see more in you than what you see in yourself at this moment. It's only in the voice of the Father that we can find identity and that we can find strength. And Jesus' relationship with the Father was radical. It was radical. In fact, I actually asked the guys there at the back. I brought a video with. I want you just to see a moment. I want you to feel this just for a moment. Where a father speaks to his child. And see the power of that voice. This is a clip out of the movie Blood Diamond. I don't know if you're familiar with it. But it's a story that revolves around diamond smuggling. And how guys would go up into Africa and smuggle diamonds. But there are lots of rebellious groups in those environments. And little boys would get caught, um, would get taken away and uh, kidnapped from little villages around. And they would be fed drugs and trained to kill people. They would become the soldiers for these armies. And this story plays off in this arena. And here we see the dad of his little boy being confronted with a new son. See what happens when the dad speaks to his son. Keep digging, huh? They'll be here any second. Come on. Keep digging. Oh.
Could it very be there, huh? Yes, yes. Have you got it? Have you got it, huh? Yes, got it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Solomon. What are you doing? Pilar Giavanti of the Prao Mende tribe. You are a good boy who loves soccer and school. Your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains and red palm oil stew with your sister yonder. And your new baby. The cows wait for you. And Babu, the wild dog who wants no one but you. Hmm? I know they made you do bad things, but you're not a bad boy. I am your father, who loves you. And you will come home with me and be my son again. moment from a father that's not even necessarily the perfect or the good father but as he speaks it's as if the reality resonates within us it's when we hear his voice that something of that obedience and that commitment and that willingness to surrender under his will to be obedient as our master was obedient up unto death it's hearing that voice, guys. It's seeing that Father. That's the thing that moves us. That's the thing that changes us. And maybe you do not know and you do not realize what the voice of God is over your life. So I quickly want to share it with you in a very short and small illustration. It's one that has impacted my life as a very young nine-year-old boy. Hearing it from a pastor preaching it shared the following story. said, imagine you live in South Africa. One night you're sleeping and you hear something down in the hallway. You hear it's coming from the kitchen. Because it's South Africa, you wake up and you take your rolly with you. You have it there and you're all the way down, making your way to the kitchen. Your wife stands up. She goes into the kid room, your, your son's room. And what do you find in the kitchen? You find a young man who lived on the streets, who never had a dad, struggling. And he's at this stage begging for his life. 
I mean, you have a gun pointed at him. He starts explaining his life circumstances and what he's actually busy doing. He's in the fridge trying to get something to eat. So while you're dealing with this reality, looking at it, the next moment something happens that stops your heart right there where you're standing. You hear the scream that you never thought you'd ever hear from your wife. And it comes directly from your son's room. So you make your way to the hallway. You look down and there stands your wife with your six-month-old boy, your only son, lifeless in her arms. And what happened was when this young man came in to get some food, your little boy started crying. And in order to stop the crying, this boy, this young man, took a pillow, pulled it over, pushed it over that little baby's head, and the baby suffocated, and he died. Can you imagine what would happen at that moment for that dad? You see, he had four choices. He immediately obviously turned back, and he was staring the murderer of his son in the face. First choice, revenge. Pull the trigger. You touch me, you kill my boy, I kill you. Second option, justice. Call the police right now, and I will see that justice is done here. Third option, forgiveness. Okay, I forgive you, but you just get away from me. I never, ever, ever want to see you again. Run. Never, ever again. Yet, the fourth option, which I think would sound impossible to us, is the one that God chose for you and me. And that is to say, you know what, young man? You grew up without a dad. And I don't have a son. So you come and stay in my house now. I will love you like the father who should have loved you from the beginning of your life. And you will be the son in my house. And you will have the inheritance that rightfully would belong to him. I invite you. That, guys, is grace. That is what God did when we nailed his son to the cross. He didn't just forgive he didn't just wipe away our sins, but He adopted us into His family. If you wanted to know why Jesus would say yes, that's it. He was turning to Peter. Peter who couldn't even hold it up. I can imagine him walking back saying, God, I cannot believe this. God actually saying to him, you know what, Jesus? You won't find hope in humanity. Look at them. They're sleeping in your greatest hour of need. They're not even praying with you. Don't bet your hopes on them. And then Jesus just like, Okay, so is this the only way, God? Is that the only way? I must drink from this cup. There is no other way that we can bring them home and make them a part of this family. And Jesus says, Thank you, Father, thine will be done. Not mine, but yours. Let's pray.
this morning, if you are here and this is the first time that you ever heard the voice of the Father speaking to us so clearly through His Son, but you have never accepted Jesus, you've never said, God, I want to, and I'm willing to stay in your house. That's where I want to be. I want to bow down before you as the King and Lord of my life. If that is you, if you've never done this, but this morning God is speaking to you and you know you need to say yes. You need to say, God, I want to join your family. I want to be a part of your kingdom. Can I ask you just to raise your hand? I would love to pray with you. I'm not going to invite you to the front. I'm not going to expose you. I do really want to not let this moment pass. There is anybody like this this morning. Just give an opportunity. Okay. The second thing that I have in my heart is that if you're sitting here and you know that God has called you to be a city changer, to bring His kingdom to your world, and you long to grow, to grow into who He made you to be, to be like Jesus, to submit to God's will in any circumstance, to commit to His plan. But this morning, you know, you've been, you've been off track and you want to join in. If that's you, I also want to pray for you. Can you just lift up your hand saying, God, I want this. Amen. So, so cool, guys. Let's pray together. Father, King of kings, Lord of lords, this morning as there are people saying, Father, I want to bow down. I want to submit my life. I want to change this world around me, but not to my liking, not to my world. I want to align my life with your will, your design, your desire for my life just as I see my master, Jesus, doing it. Father, I come and pray, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, that you would strengthen us to stand strong, to be bold in what we're doing and following your voice, even through the darkest hours of our lives.